Thanks for tuning in on our Canyon Hills San Luis Obispo podcast. Wherever you're tuning in from, we pray you're encouraged by the message. Chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 37 through 47 as we continue on in our year of the Bible series. We believe the Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. Let's say it together. The Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. From Genesis to Revelations, it's all about Jesus. From Revelations to where we are right here today, it's all about Jesus. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, it's all about Jesus. Now look at the other person you just ignored and say, I love you. You ignored him, so you got to do that. All right, so here's the deal. We have finished the Gospels. We've gone through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in our reading program, in our reading plan. And now we find ourselves in the book of Acts. And because this whole series is devoted to helping you understand your Bible and understand kind of the big themes, like last week, there is no way we can talk about the Bible and not talk about the church. Now, I want to make something very clear. Number one, hi, Joseph. And it's just so good to take uh, so, Sorry, squirrel. Um, sorry, I looked over, saw some friends. And so if you're going to talk about the Bible, you've got to talk about church. But here's where we get it mixed up. We read the passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 2, which we'll do in just a moment. And we think that's the birth of the church. That's not the birth of the church. The church was long existing before the Acts chapter 2. What we're going to read about today is actually a different way of doing church. That's going to be the big idea that we talk about. It's a different way. In other words, God said, okay, I'm going to change some things here. So what happens? Jesus dies. He's raised from the dead. He comes back. He spends some time. He sends the disciples to the upper room, a group of people. They wait for the Holy Spirit to come down. The Holy Spirit comes down. It rocks Peter. And then we pick up this story in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now, when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. He was preaching the gospel. Christ died, raised from the dead. And he said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to him, repent and that every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, I want to say promise, is to you and your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and he exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly, say gladly, received the word, were baptized, and on that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. That line right there is super important to our message today. The things that they did after salvation came. Those are the things that they did. They devoted themselves to the doctrine of the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Then... Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. Here's what I love. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And then it says at the end, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. If you're taking notes today, I want to speak to you from the subject of the church. Very simple subject, the church. Not just the church. No, no, no. The church. 
Big difference. Let's pray. Father, help in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. The institution of the church, and getting ready for this, I came across a couple stories. I thought they'd be a great way to open up. A Sunday school teacher asked her little children as they were on their way to the church service, and why is it necessary to be quiet in church? And one bright little girl replied with, because the people are sleeping. (laughs) Hope that's not true in this church. Please make some noise today, okay? Don't be quiet. Six-year-old Angie and her four-year-old brother, Joel, were sitting together in church. Joel giggled, sang, talked out loudly. Finally, his big sister had enough and said, you're not supposed to talk out loud in church. Why, Joel said, who's going to stop me? Angie then pointed to the back of the church and said, see those two men standing right there? They're hushers. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I know it was good. I don't, yeah, anyways, moving on. So we're talking about the church. I just have to throw stuff in there like that because it gets my own humor going. We see that God is at work in the Holy Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. People get radically changed. God works through a guy by the name of Peter, which we know Peter. Peter's the crazy disciple who always says the wrong thing, sometimes does the wrong thing. But yet he's the one that Jesus always seems to help and to restore. Aren't you thankful for a God who likes to help you and restore you when you're a lot like Peter or am I just the only one in this place? It's like, I thank God for that. Peter's a coward. Before Jesus is crucified, he denies the Christ three times. But apparently in that upper room, when the Holy Spirit comes down, God does a work inside of the life of Peter. And now all of a sudden he's, he's full of boldness. He goes down when people are mocking these people for being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. They, they think they're just completely drunk. And Peter, full of boldness, walks down those eastern steps and begins to preach and proclaim the gospel. Not as the one who was timid, shy, or denying the Christ. He's now bold for Christ, and he wants to make Jesus known. It's a powerful moment. Things are taking place. And all of a sudden, we see that God is at work, but also that God decided to be at work with people. It wasn't just something that God was doing in and of himself. He was actually choosing to work through people. This small group of people in an upper room would eventually go down, have this moment, 3,000 are saved, they're baptized instantly on the moment, And all of a sudden, the Bible says they begin to meet together in the temple daily. Could you imagine going to church daily? Man, I got quiet. Man, that's hard enough for some people just to come to church once a week, right? Could you imagine daily going to the temple? Now, I realize it's Eastern culture. It's different. We're Western culture. There's a difference there. There's a huge difference there. But they were going to the temple daily and, 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 and. They were meeting in houses from home to home, living life together. Sounds like something that we preach a lot at this church, not trying to do life alone. I got to be open. I try to be open, try to be as honest as possible. Just joking. Try to be honest all the time. It's a daunting task when a person comes to Christ and accepts Jesus as their savior. One of the things that I find myself praying very often when that moment takes place is that this church and the people of this church would be the kind of people who can help those who make a decision for Christ. Because in serving Jesus, you need a group of people around you 
to help. And when we look at this story of how this church was now beginning to take on a different form, we begin to see just how important people are to the story of other people. Like they matter. Like it's not just, okay, I have a relationship with God. It's that I need to have a relationship with God, but then I need to be in relationship with other people. You know, it's a lot like having a baby, you know? The work really starts after the baby's born. And Vanessa said, ah, she's in the nursery. I was hoping she would say amen. Oh, wait, they're on a two-minute delay. If you hear an amen in about two minutes, she says amen to that. In other words, what I'm saying is when a person comes to Jesus, that's where the work begins. It's where it starts. And so when we're looking down at this, we see that God is at work. He's using people. And there's these qualities that begin to take place for the church. Now, I made this statement last week, and I'm going to make it here again today. It's kind of like our big idea for the day. Then I'll give you some points and some context. And then I'll give you some some walkaway points. Something that you can do. Because we're not supposed to just be hearers of the word. We're supposed to be doers of the word. So we have to hear and we have to do. I made this statement last week. I do not believe the church is the hope of the world. I don't believe that. People say, well, the local church is the hope of the world. Don't believe it. I got to add a word in there and then I will. The local church mobilized is the hope of the world. In other words, a church that is actively doing something to help people come to Christ is mobilized, is in their community, is doing things. We're going to talk about this in a minute. But a church that is mobilized and helping people not only come to Christ, get water baptized, get discipled in the things of God, find their gifting, find their calling, put it to use within the church and outside of the walls, that is the goal of every church. But if the church is just about coming to a place once a week to hear some worship and hopefully a good message, hopefully a good message, sometimes I'm up here speaking going, I don't know if this is a good message, but hopefully if that's all we're doing to check off this box of, hey, I did church, we're missing out on what Christ was installing. We're missing out on the point of the church. It's to be mobilized, doing something for Jesus living in community with each other. So the big thought of today is the local church mobilized is the hope of the world. Now let's talk about that. Point number one for all you note takers. A mobilized church is a devoted church. They're devoted. Let's go back to Acts chapter two. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and prayers. In other words, they weren't just doing the religious thing. They were actively devoted to the things of God. Their lives had been transformed by the encounter of Peter coming down and preaching the gospel, and suddenly their priorities began to change. They had a devotion. Part of our mission statement here at Canyon Hill Slow is we exist to inspire and equip people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. So my goal in being your pastor is to help you become and still work on becoming a devoted follower of Jesus. It's part of our mandate. It's part of our goal. That's what the early church did. Now think about this. They were busy people. They had families. They had work. They had personal matters. But when they encountered God in a real way, their priorities began to change and they devoted themselves to the things of God. They had a new set of priorities. Now, let's just be real. How many of y'all live busy lives? Show of hands. You got busy lives? 
Man, the rest of you don't? How do I do what you're doing? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> we got busy lives. But there's a priority that needs to come. It needs to be in our lives that puts the kingdom of God before the busyness. Now, I'm not saying we sacrifice our families. I'm not saying we don't do what we're supposed to do, but there's a priority. I know I've talked about this before, and man, I, it's kind of hard sometimes, right? Because if you start to poke on someone's life a little bit, they start to look at you really mean, which none of you are looking at me mean right now, so that's really cool. But sometimes if we're not careful, we make other things the big thing and we miss out on the kingdom that God wants us to advance. Now we'll get into what that looks like because that could be tricky, right? For some of us, we're single. We wish we weren't, but we are. For some of us, we're dating. For some of us, we're married. And that comes with a whole list of things, a whole bunch of priorities. But the goal here is still being devoted to the things of God and to the kingdom of God. So that's gonna look different in every season. It's gonna look different today than it probably will tomorrow. Priorities change, life gets busy, but God is still, it's like sometimes as a pastor, like I'm up here just kind of like waving my hands going, hey, don't forget about the things of God. Keep them at the center. Like the church, you've gotta be devoted. In John Philip's book, he has a book called Exploring Acts, the book of Acts. And he writes that the early church were devoted to four things. I wanna give them to you real quick because it kind of helps us. But he used this illustration of the truth, the tie, the table, and the throne. It sounds like a really good Baptist, you know, like preaching, everything starts with the same letter. I like that, by the way, in case you're wondering. You guys are getting quiet. It's just a joke, just a joke. The truth. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they gave high priority to understanding the scriptures and their truths. God's word at the center. Can I just tell you, when a lot of things in this world fail, God never fails, amen? But his truth is always truth. So when things begin to fail, when life gets tough, these apostles knew that their people needed to know the word of God. They needed something to turn to. They needed a scripture to hold on to. I mean, if you think about the church, especially in the book of Acts, they were a persecuted church. People were dying because of their faith for Jesus. So how much more so do they need the word of God? Now today, we don't face that type of persecution. But how many of you guys would know when someone comes to you and their life is falling apart, sometimes a nice little word just doesn't seem to do the trick. But God's word does. The people devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. I know it's really quiet in here. I'm trying to figure out why, but everyone just look at me real quick. This is why coming to church is so important. That's why worshiping, what we'll talk about, and that's why devoting yourself to the Bible is so important. You need something to stand on. You need a truth. In the world upon which we live in, and as crazy as it's getting and going to continue to get, you need something to stand on. And that's God's word. So it's no small task when you show up to church and someone gets up to speak, whether it's myself or somebody else. What you're doing is what the church did and what God established. That you would come to a house of worship and you would place yourself under the teaching of a pastor or a, an apostle or an evangelist and that you would learn to grow in God's word because God's word speaks. They also talk about fellowship. 
That's like the tie. See, the early church saw that their need to share life with other believers was a big part of how God empowered them for their assignment. The reality is, is I'm better when I am together with people. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm, I'm better with you. Come on, say it like you mean it. I'm better with you. I, I'm, I'm a better, more effective believer when I'm worshiping together in God's house with other believers. It just, it's the more. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. We quote that all the time, but it's true. So the question that I have is if you have friendships in your life, do you have sparks flying? If iron sharpens iron, do you have someone in your life who is not impressed with you, by the way, because sometimes when people are impressed with you, they don't quite tell you what you need to hear. You ever notice that? Because they don't want to offend you. They don't want to seem like they're better than you. I, I say this all the time. If you don't have a group of friends who can say something to you that hurts a little bit, I'm a little concerned. Because we've all got flaws. Just me. We've all got issues. So if what Proverbs is saying is you actually make me better by you not being the type of person, the type of believer that will say, hey, you could be a better husband than that. You could be a better father than that. I'll just use my, my life. No, no, you could be better here. Not in a beat up time. No one wants to be beat up. Have you noticed that? I don't want to be, but I do want to be told the truth. Will you just give it to me straight? What am I missing? That's what it's talking about here. That's what fellowship does. When you get together and you live life with people, it makes you better. But when you don't, you're isolated. You, you need fellowship. This is hard for a lot of people. Let's have some, some family. Can we have some family talk? Okay, everyone look at me first and smile. Let me make sure you got a good smile today. Okay. You need to surround yourself with people. How do you do that? Where do you start? Who do you ask? Do you send a text? Do you place a phone call? Do you talk to them in person? How do you start to begin to live life with people like the They met in house to house. So they probably met someone they didn't know and they probably got over the awkward stage of what do we talk about? And they started living life. Let me, let me tell you how I've done it in, in my life. I'm a sports guy. You know it. I love sports. I love sports so much that I was like, you know what? Because I love sports so much and because I love people so much, this is a lot easier than I'm making it out to be. So for example, I am, along with Daryl, along with Lindy, we are Raiders fans. We love football. We love the Las Vegas Raiders who were the Oakland Raiders who used to be the Los Angeles Raiders. That's why we're called Raider Nation, okay? So we just cover it all. We can move anywhere, doesn't matter. So I wanna live in fellowship with other people and I don't know if they like what I like, but I've gotta to get to know it. So I came to this church and one day homeboy, Daryl, was wearing a Raiders jersey and I said, automatic best friend right there. Here, come closer so they can see us online. So I'm like, this is good. But then at the same time, we had enemies. Right there. I mean, I don't get it. And if you've ever noticed anything about Packers fans, they, they just don't do anything normal. Homeboy had to come with a cheese head on his head today, right? 
And so, man, here I am going, I want to live in fellowship with people, and I love the game of sports, and I just want to be with them. So what can I do? Hey, how about we get together and we watch a game? Now, here's what's really good. When I watch a Raiders game, I'm really happy. When I watch a Packers game, not so much, but this guy can cook right here. So the food is always really good. He won the chili cook-off last week, by the way, with this chili. It just, it's, it's bad. So here's what happens. Watch. His wife's clapping in the back. Sue, you're awesome. So here's what happens. Something super simple. This is such a simple analogy. We just started living life together. We just started watching a football game together. And then we went bowling together. And then we watched more football together. And then you guys sat out at a parade with Vanessa and the boys. And now all of a sudden, I could have a text dialogue or a phone call or we can meet for food and talk. I opened up the door with something silly as football. But now I've got some people around me and we've had talks about the Lord and about being great husbands and great dads and sometimes dealing with annoying people. We've had that talk too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You guys, do you guys have to deal with annoying people? Just, okay, everyone, okay. We've had that talk. We've had the talks about family and about parenting and about struggles. And then we've sat back and we've yelled at a TV screen. It's that simple. I love golf. Oh, I love golf. Anybody else love golf? Does anybody get frustrated by golf? You should be raising your hand. How hard is it to hit a little white ball? Straight. That's it. And so I've got some friends and they love to golf too. So all of a sudden I'm like, okay, how can I spend some more time with guys in our church and play the game of golf? Are they coming or are they lost? Are you guys lost? Oh, here they come. Oh, wait, you're in the bunker, aren't you? So here's my buddy, Corey. Here's my buddy, Chris. Chris left us, but he came back. He's here for a while. I like it. I started to go like, man, I like to golf. And I want to get to know people in our church. So my first experience with Chris was not a good one, by the way. You guys know all the jokes, but let me just tell you, if you go out to lunch or out to coffee, order black coffee. Don't order a lavender latte. Because they don't let it down. There's a lavender farm on the way to Bakersfield. I get pictures of the lavender farm. My wife told me to try it. It was not good. So I wanted to get to know Chris. It's almost five years ago. Let's go grab a cup of coffee. We start to talk life in church. He plays golf. Then I meet this family. And then I get introduced to this guy. This is one of my favorite human beings in the world right here. Love you. He's got a really good mustache too that I can't grow. And all of a sudden, hey, let's go golf. And then what happens is as we're doing stuff that we enjoy and that we like, we start talking about life. We start talking about God. Corey tells me, fix your swing. It's gone out of bounds for the fifth time. And he was right. And now we live life together. We text each other all the time. We make fun of each other still. And I found something that I just enjoyed doing, but I did it with people in fellowship, house to house. Simple. It's gonna be more simple. What's up, Chris? What's up, Brock? Come here real quick. Then I'm like, man, I wanna grow with other guys. Let's go, come here. They didn't know I was doing this. So then all of a sudden, I'm like, man, 
I've got guys that we've got things in common. Yes, I know we look alike and we have that in common. And all of a sudden it's like, man, we, we want to we be in God's word together. So think of this. This is so crazy to me. So hey, just start with the text message. What, what if we read a version Bible plan? What if we just found a topic and we just talked about it? You pick it, you read it, you click it off, you say something at the end. And what turned into two guys reading the Bible together every single day, wanting to be better men of God, better husbands, better fathers, better friends, better bosses, turned into now, these guys go on a golf retreat with their friends. Some believers, some not. And what went from being two guys every single morning, I mean, sometimes he and I are like competing, we don't, he doesn't even know it, on who can be up earlier and finish it first. Between he and I, we're done by about 4 a.m. in the morning. Sometimes he gets me at 3.30 and it makes me so mad, so mad. I'm like, man, he beat me to God's word. Oh! And we read God's word and we talk about it. So what's gone to two is now at seven. Found a common interest, something that was needed. Devoted ourselves to the word of God. And now we're helping other men in their pursuit of God. And all it was was basic stuff of probably what the early church did too. They met in the temple. They worshiped like we did today. But then they started to meet house to house and they started to live life together. And I guarantee you there's not one person on this stage that if something were to happen in their life that they wouldn't send a phone call or a text and say, I need some help. I've got this going on. Even the basic stuff. Can you hang out with my son? Can we go grab a meal together? Can we watch a game together? Yeah, we can. Can we just go out? Man, it's been a tough week. Can we just go hit the course and just play? What I'm trying to convey, as simple as this is, is in life, find people that do things that you like and just include them. It's that simple. And as you begin to do that, you begin to have this fellowship. And as you do that, you'll start to get these Proverbs 27, 17 things where it's iron sharpening iron making you better. Amen? Could you guys get up for these? Thank you so much, guys. Love, love the jersey. Love the jersey. So anointing. As, as Nate comes, I tell you, man, anytime somebody walks in with the Raider jersey, I feel the anointing of the Lord. You may not feel the same way, but I do. Fellowship. Look at your neighbor and say fellowship. Today, our table of six, which is actually now a table of eight, we'll spend time together. We're going to break some bread today. We're going to have some food. Josh's group, they're going to meet together. We've got groups all throughout our church throughout the month that are in a group. They meet together. They share a meal and they talk about life. That's what the early church did, and that's what made it so powerful. Also, it says the breaking of bread. They would go to the table. They would eat meals together. They would also take in communion. You want to know what they were doing in that part, especially as they took communion? They were recalibrating themselves. They were bringing everything back to this one thing. It's all about Jesus. And so they did. It also says that they devoted themselves to prayer. Man, prayer is so important. They devoted themselves to it. 
I just want to encourage you. Be in prayer. Be in God's word. Make it a priority in your life. Make it the first thing you do every single day. So, the first church, they were a mobilized church, but they were devoted to the church. Number two, a mobilized church is an off-field church. Say, what do you mean by that? Well, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Other translations won't say that word fear, but that, that, that reverence or it says awe came upon them. It's not like a fear like I'm afraid of something. It's this. It's that God is so good and God is so powerful that I stand in awe of what he does. There's a reverence that comes with it. When worship would begin to take place, it's a sign that says, God, my, my week may have been this, even as Omar said, my week could have been this, but God, you were so good, it drowns out everything else. You guys remember that word awesome? You guys remember when that word came out? Remember how people use that word for absolutely everything? It's just awesome. There's an awe of God. There's a reverence. Listen, when we come into this place, man, I love noise. I mean, I want to shout this place down. I want to praise. I want to worship God, all of that. But then there's also a side too where it's like, man, Lord, you're good. Has he been good to you? I mean, you got quiet right there. That was your opportunity. Has he been good to you? Man, stand in awe of that. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. They had an awe towards the things of God. What am I trying to say right here? In other words, it wasn't just church as usual. It wasn't just the Bible as usual. It wasn't just prayer. Well, I guess I got to do this again. Okay, let me get it done. That's not reverence. That's not awe. It's as I grab God's word. It says, Lord, this is your word. These are your words. I'm getting ready to read them. There's a reverence that comes. God, this is your church. God, this, I'm going to, Lord, I'm going to you in prayer. It's a powerful thing. So a mobilized church is a devoted church. It's an all-filled church. Number three, a mobilized church is a generous church. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 44. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. This is the part that I love the most. If they saw somebody within their church in need, they sold what they had to take care of someone else. Why is, it, why is our table for six so important? Why is it that you know each other and fellowship so important? So that when you have a need in your life, that you have a friend to turn to. I tell you, one of the greatest things that I love doing, and this is not a brag on Pastor Rich, I'm just saying as a believer, one of the things that I enjoy doing is blessing other people. People ask me all the time, Rich, why do you want to be blessed? So I can then bless other people. That's why I want to be blessed. I want, I want what God's word has to say for my life in the area of finances, not so I can just get stuff. Stuff's not bad unless the stuff has you. We all know that. But I want to be blessed so much that if I hear of a need of someone else, there is no hesitation. There is no, man, I'm going to have to sacrifice because i got to help this person because I'm a believer and that's what we do. Oh! There's no joy in that. 
But I want to be so blessed that whether it's a college student in our church, a family in our church, anyone in our church that we hear need of, that we can say, we got you. We're your family. That early church, that's what they did. I tell you, man, you guys have heard me say this before. I make no apologies at all in talking about money in church. Everyone just look at me real quick. I don't apologize for that. I don't speak timid about that. Because here's what I know. Everything is God's anyways. It's all God's. It's not even yours. Like, listen, if you think your finances are yours and you're a believer, this isn't a message on money. We do that a couple times a year. Hear me. If you think it's yours, you've missed it. Everything is God's. And it's a good God because he lets you have 90% and he only asks you for 10. I come from the inner city of Sacramento. That's better than a drug deal. Sorry, the inner city kid came out again. I make no apologies. I had a, I had a gentleman ask me one time, he said, man, why, why, why does God require this? Why does God require that? And at the end of the day, he asked me, he goes, how can you just be so confident about this? And I was like, because I've lived it. I've experienced this one truth. You can't outgive God. You just can't. I had a guy ask me, he says, why, why do you guys need money at the church? It's okay to have family talk like this, right? You guys go with that? You guys know me, I'm an open book. Why? Simple. So we can meet the needs of those in our church and in our community. That's why. It's so that eventually, as a church body, we can meet the needs of you. We got teenagers in our church, junior hires. As we can, we get to meet that need. And college students, and adults, and ministries. We're gonna put a slide up on the, MJ, go and put that one up on the board. So you guys hear us talk a lot about, a lot about CityServe, and a lot about our church in general. Did I put that one in there, bud? Okay, must have forgot. My bad. Our CityServe initiative is that we meet the needs of orphans, widows, those neglected, those abused, all of these different categories. If you guys remember, CityServe for us during the pandemic was a half a million dollars or a half a million pounds of food going through our parking lot week in and week out when the pandemic hit. When we did that, I know we've talked about that a lot, that to me was the church being the church. But here's the deal. We've got a lot more needs to meet in our city. We've got orphans, we've got widows, we've got the neglected. We have ministry that needs to take place in this city. And I believe the church is the answer to meeting those needs. And CityServe is our vehicle to make that happen. So throughout all of this time of, of the church being a generous church, the answer to why it's so generous is because the people of God do what they can 
to meet the needs. And that's why it's no small thing. Listen, if there's a prayer you can pray over your finances, let this be the prayer. God, bless me so that I could just be a blessing to other people. And you watch what God will do. It's what the early church did. And the Bible says they turned the world upside down. So again, this isn't a talk on money. It's between you and God. I'm telling you, you'll never outgive God. But listen, if you're not putting God first, you can have all the money in the world and it'll still never be enough. Because there's something that happens when you say, hey, God, it's yours in the first place. I give it back to you. Do what you will. But it's so you can be a blessing. Lastly, number four, as you stand to your feet, a mobilized church is a worshiping church. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity in heart. And then, man, I love this one. Praising God and having favor with all people. Psalm 95, verse 1. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. They were a devoted church to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship, living life one with another. They were generous, but they were also worshipers. They would sing. I tell you, one of my favorite things I didn't get to do today because Josh was drumming. Thank you, Josh. I got to worship with everyone else. But one of my favorite things, and he's going to hate that I say this, but I'm going to say it and he'll have to forgive me, is watching Ron Short during worship. Oh, man. I'm going to try to hold it together right now. On weeks when I drum and we sing in worship, it just stands in the back, only like Ron can, hands lifted, eyes closed. And I could see him not only singing the songs, but I could then see him just praying. Him and Patricia have been a part of this church probably longer than anybody else in this church. They probably don't like that I said that either because I would equate them to be old. You're not old, you're seasoned. They've watched thousands upon thousands of people come through those doors. They have given to this church in ways none of you will ever know not just in finance, but with their lives. Because they believe in the power of the local church mobilized. But they come and they worship. Let me give you the antidote to a really bad week. If you have a bad week, and I'm not praying that over you because I would be, welcome to church, or this week we pray you have the worst week of your life. Never. But I'll tell you what sets me free from a bad week, a tough week, is when I come to this place and that band begins to play and I lift my hands and I surrender it all to Jesus. 
and I worship Jesus. I sing to Jesus. This sounds really funny. One of the most attractive things to a lost person coming through that door on Sundays is a church that worships because they see something they can't quite explain, but they can see that it's changed someone. So church, I want to encourage you. When you come to this house, come ready to worship. Come ready to sing. I don't care how bad you sing. You don't sing worse than me. I mean, you might, but it gets pretty bad. Some of you, I'm going to make fun of my white friends. You can't clap on beat. That's probably why we don't clap a lot in this church. You guys are afraid to. Might get off beat. I don't know. We worship in this church. We sing in this church. Because that's what the church does. We have something to praise. Amen. We have something to be thankful about. Amen. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to connect with us, text CONNECT to 805-321-1357 or visit us at slow.canyonhills.com. Until next time, have a great day and be encouraged that God is with you and for you.